The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. January 12, 2017. Thank you very much for listening and for shopping through my Amazon links at buzzburbank.com. Russia is loving this, eating it up with a spoon, the ongoing battle between the U.S. president-elect and the biggest and best intelligence community on the planet. When Americans see that kind of fight in a second or third world country, a president and his security advisors undermining each other, we see a government that's unstable. Now, the Russians are seeing in us what we've seen in those other countries, disarray and chaos, and they're loving it. In this week's press conference, Trump admitted the Russians hacked during the election, but he seemed to defend the hack when he said the Democrats made it easy and that the publishing of stolen emails revealed important information, namely that Hillary Clinton was getting the heads up on one question at one debate. Trump further deflected criticism of Russia by saying the Chinese and others also hack us. But it was Trump who, during the campaign, invited Russia to hack Clinton's emails. Now... He says he'll tell Putin to stop it and that he'll tighten American cybersecurity. And even with all that, Trump says he hopes to have a good relationship with Putin. But it was what Trump didn't say at the news conference this week that was the most shocking, that he didn't condemn the hacking, he didn't threaten more sanctions, and he didn't, as so many others have, accuse Putin of being a war criminal for the slaughter in Syria or the aggression in Crimea. Trump was actually harder on U.S. intelligence and even the media than he was on Putin or Russia. And questions were raised this week about whether Russia has something on Trump after the publication of some notes included in the intelligence report on Russian hacking. Although the contents of the report are unconfirmed and very likely false, and although there's reason to be suspicious of those contents, the U.S. intelligence say they come from a reliable source, a former British intelligence agent. According to this unconfirmed report, now being reported widely because of the Internet firestorm it ignited, Trump hired prostitutes to defile a presidential suite bed that had been used by President and Mrs. Obama in a hotel where the rooms are reportedly bugged with Russian cameras and microphones. Never mind the salacious details. If that video did exist, the Russians would have something on Trump. The unverified report says Russia's been gathering compromising information on Trump for the past few years. Russia might never use such a thing. It might not have to. Russia could simply dangle a threat. For now, as it happens, Trump and Russia are on the same page and saying the same thing, that the report was a leak by U.S. intelligence, and that news coverage about it, even outlets that say it's unconfirmed, are fake news. Trump told reporters yesterday he wasn't bothered by the part of the report that said Putin preferred him over Clinton, adding, if Putin likes Donald Trump, guess what, folks? That's called an asset, not a liability. And while all that was going on, Trump's choice for Secretary of State was getting raked over the coals at his confirmation hearing. Republicans were more critical than expected, Florida's Marco Rubio leading the charge. Tillerson, a former Exxon CEO with business in Russia, refused. Rubio called that refusal discouraging, that Tillerson wouldn't state a belief held around the world. Tillerson did say Russia is an unfriendly adversary that poses a danger and that we won't likely be allies. We're not likely to ever be friends, he said, contradicting the stated hopes of the incoming president. And since the Secretary of State is the point person in this country's part in the Paris Climate Accord, the oil man was asked about that as well. 
Tillerson didn't deny climate change, but he didn't make it a priority, telling the senators the risk of climate change does exist and the consequences could be serious enough that action should be taken. But he added, our ability to predict that effect is very limited. The scientist watching a giant iceberg break away from a melting polar cap disagree. One way or another, the agencies that look out for our safety from terror attacks are about to shrink. On one hand, there's Trump, who plans to make cuts at the CIA and other intelligence agencies. These are the agencies that declared Russia was behind the hacking of Clinton's campaign and the publication of those emails, and that Russia paid people to troll Clinton, disparaging her as much as possible, and that Russian officials celebrated when Trump won, and that it was ordered directly by Russian President Vladimir Putin. The agencies say they have electronic proof of all of this, much of which they immediately shared with Trump and the rest of the public as soon as their report was ready. On the other hand, there are these 17 intelligence agencies and Democrats and Republicans who support them who say the U.S. election process was attacked by Russia. At least one intelligence official says he's worried about losing good, non-political career people who don't want to work for a president who won't listen to them. Even one of Trump's own security advisors is quitting the Trump team. Former CIA Director James Woolsey says he's seen enough. So either way, under Trump, U.S. intelligence to protect us from attacks of various kinds will be less. It's also now clear, based on our intelligence, Putin's interference with the election here was revenge for Clinton's claim that Putin got reelected by cheating at the polls, which he did. Trump has other priorities, however. He immediately called on committee chairmen in both the House and the Senate to investigate how NBC News got a look at the Russia report before he did. That's the thing Trump wants to fix out of all of this. Trump is also not fond of our U.S. ambassadors, apparently. He's kicking all of them out on Inauguration Day, something incoming presidents just don't do for some very good reasons. As with Obamacare, Trump has a plan to remove but not replace our diplomats. Clearing them out all at once means the U.S. will have no representation in other countries for months. There will be dozens and dozens of positions to fill. Each one has to be confirmed by the Senate. Previous presidents, eager to put in their own people, have made exceptions for diplomats with kids in school till spring. Some of them would have no place to live while they wait for visas to return to the U.S. With just days before Trump takes office, American diplomats around the world are scrambling to make arrangements with very little warning. And the U.S. is soon to be without representation in countries all over the globe. Yesterday was Trump's first news conference in six months, his first since winning the election. But really, it was a news conference he'd promised for last month about how he'd separate himself from his business. It was a circus, that news conference, that included shouting matches between Trump and reporters, a far cry from the dignity of the night before of President Obama's farewell address. But Trump finally got to his conflicts of interest, revealing he'd hired a big Philadelphia law firm to help him with that and letting one of its 2,000 lawyers explain the plan to reporters. Unfortunately, after spending all that money on the law firm considered the best at dealing with Russia, Trump would remain deeply connected to his business under the plan put forth. What could possibly go wrong? According to one former White House ethics advisor, Mr. Trump's ill-advised course will precipitate scandal and corruption. Another says these matters will be tied up in courts for years. Trump says his sons Don and Eric will run the company he'll re-inherit and that he won't discuss the business with them. Trump said he would resign as an officer in all of his companies and that both the White House and the company will have their own ethics advisors. 
But he said if Don and Eric haven't done well when he returns, he will tell them, you're fired, a reference to his reality TV days. Trump then turned the details over to one of his lawyers. Her law firm, by the way, won Russian Law Firm of the Year in 2016, according to a European law firm directory. Trump attorney Sherry Dillon spent nearly half her time at the microphone defending Trump legally and politically, repeating the promise that he'd make America great again. She even addressed the Trump Hotel that occupies the government's old post office pavilion in D.C., a building Trump leases from the government he's about to run. The concern is foreign government officials are tempted to stay there to curry favor with Trump, who will set foreign policy. Dillon said that's not a conflict because the dignitaries get a room and the hotel gets money and it's an even trade, not a payoff. But to eliminate the appearance of a conflict, Dillon said the money spent at the hotel by foreign governments would be turned over to the U.S. Treasury, which she claims would eliminate the conflict of interest. But foreign governments will still likely choose Trump's hotel, and that will be in the paper, and Trump will know about it, so the conflict still exists. No, the Trump business and government separation plan falls far short of the blind trust that experts and the government ethics office said Trump has to set up to eliminate all conflicts of interest. As it is, he has business interest in 10 countries he'll be dealing with as president. Meanwhile, Trump insisted, really, legally, he doesn't have to obey any ethics laws. He also repeated yesterday he will not release his tax return, so citizens and taxpayers are still in the dark about what conflicts he does have and still in the dark about whether he has any business ties in Russia. He says he doesn't. We have no proof. It was over the weekend that President Obama told ABC News that running the government is not like, quote, running a family business. But the very next day, Trump announced that his son-in-law would be the senior advisor to the president at no salary but with an office in the White House while Trump's sons Don and Eric run the family business. Jared Kushner, husband of the influential daughter Ivanka Trump, will be in the White House. She will be there, too, occupying the East Wing, where the First Lady usually serves. That's being renamed the Office of the First Family. Jared Kushner is reportedly considering resigning from the family business and checking with the government ethics office to make sure everything is right, we are told. And then there's Trump's pick for attorney general, the surprising choice of Alabama Senator Jeff Sessions, who lost a judicial nomination in the 80s because he'd repeatedly called un-American both the NAACP and the ACLU, and because he'd allegedly called a black attorney boy. So naturally, the ACLU and the biggest civil rights group in the U.S. are staunchly opposed to Sessions' confirmation to be the guy who watches out for civil rights. Sessions also prosecuted civil rights workers accused of voter fraud, but lost that case. The jury found the accused couple innocent, and the widow despises Sessions to this day. And for the first time in history, one senator testified against another at the confirmation hearing. New Jersey Senator Cory Booker called Sessions unfit to be attorney general. Quoting Booker, numerous times in his career, he has demonstrated a hostility towards civil rights and women's rights and has worked to frustrate attempts to advance these ideals. Sessions denies the charges against him, however numerous they might be. Already this week, the Senate is taking on a flurry of cabinet nominations from Trump, considering their confirmations even though many have not undergone the usual vetting process. Hearings have already begun, with more than half of them scheduled before Inauguration Day. And many nominees haven't even been screened. Again, what could possibly go wrong? 
A lot, according to the Office of Government Ethics, which says it needs 40 days to prepare, not four. Democrats are also concerned, but Mitch McConnell says they're just sour grapes over losing the White House and the Senate. Usually, a president's choices get vetted first, then he nominates them for Senate approval. In Trump land, the nominations were announced first, and this week they're being rushed through their hearings. The ethics office found out about these folks when you did, and this time will be harder since several of Trump's nominees are billionaires whose finances are very hard to trace, much less their conflicts of interest. The Trump camp says there's no time for vetting. It wants its people to hit the ground running on day one, and Senate Republicans say they're on board. Despite a record number of listeners to this program with its new direction and expanded format, I've lost a few listeners. And for the first time in my life and my career, I'm okay with that. Gone are a handful of people who could not be reached anyway, at least not while emotions are still high from the election. But thank you to those of you who've stayed, regardless of your political leanings. I will try to honor your presence through facts respectfully submitted. The coverage of Trump, either by the mainstream media or by independent writers such as myself, is not about Republican or Democrat, not about liberal versus conservative, not about Clinton versus Trump. It's not about bias. It's about Trump and the direction this country is or is not headed. Never before have we witnessed such mean rhetoric and such a reckless demeanor from an incoming president. And although it's vital that you and I maintain respect and civility, we now live in an age in which the abnormal is normalized, so some of the rules have changed a bit. We live in an age in which journalistic integrity once again requires the kind that Edward R. Murrow displayed against Senator Joseph McCarthy. I hope to do more with these broadcasts than just make you feel badly about things. Instead, I hope to empower you with history and facts to better prepare you to debate when that's possible, to call and write your governors, your senators, and representatives, be they state or local because that really does make a difference. Also today, another word or two about the news media, which continues to take a beating from Trump and others who have stopped listening to facts that contradict their beliefs or their anger. Compounding the problem, at his press conference, Trump refused to take a question from CNN calling it fake news for reporting the unverified intelligence that BuzzFeed had published. This is clearly a president who will be at war with the news media, perhaps one or two outlets at a time. He had a media blacklist during his campaign. In recent years, conservatives, and now especially Trump, have impugned the reputation of reporters because real news organizations brought them facts that didn't fit their beliefs. Does that make the media biased? Or does it make part of the audience biased? Or maybe some from both columns? I have been accused of bias over the years, and that, too, has stopped bothering me. Of course I have a bias. So do you. All humans do. And that, of course, includes journalists. And although we strive to be as objective as possible in our work, we are obligated to call out the Joe McCarthys and Donald Trumps when they have their facts wrong, when they cross lines, and when they threaten American values. Despite a popular notion among enthusiastic conservatives, I do not worship Hillary Clinton or the Democratic Party. And I know liberals are sometimes wrong, so I am not biased toward any of them. But yes, I am biased, but it's not about parties or candidates. I am biased against anyone who promotes or tolerates bigotry, against anyone who favors the rich over the rest or agenda over truth, anyone who might favor their business over their country, anyone who would curry favor with Russia after what Russia has done, anyone who would favor petroleum over planet, 
anyone who would insult women, veterans, and the disabled, and anyone who would lead a crowd of supporters to chant mean-spirited things, giving the rest of us a chill inspired by world history. So there you have it. I've confessed and named most of my biases and denied the rest. Journalism's root word is journal, and that's just another word for diary. I said in my very first independent buzzcast that this would be my diary of the world and that if it doesn't suit you, you could make your own diary. And one other thing. In words inspired by the brilliant Stephanie Miller, handling the stories these days is like facing a tennis ball machine. They just keep coming faster than you can pick them up and examine them. Still, we try. We must. 18,000 people turned out in Chicago Tuesday night to say goodbye to the president of the past eight years who leaves office with a 56% approval rating. Mr. Obama bragged a bit about recovering the economy, providing health care to millions who didn't have it, stopping Iran's nuclear program without violence, and taking out 9-11 mastermind Osama bin Laden. Even the president choked up at that emotional gathering. Many in the audience were in tears, and for a moment they chanted, four more years. I can't do that, said Obama. But he also made it clear he isn't going away, promising to spend the rest of his life fighting for the laws and principles he supported throughout his presidency. Now, who pays for that wall? What's happening to health care and new bathroom laws in part two after this? It is crucial now more than ever that you show your support for this newscast by doing as much of your shopping as possible through my Amazon links at buzzburbank.com. You'll land right on your very own Amazon page. You'll get the same great prices as always. If you believe in what I'm doing here, what we're doing together, it's extremely important that you go to buzzburbank.com, click on that link, then bookmark the page and make it one of your favorites. Whether you're already a Prime member or you're shopping Amazon for the first time, going through that link, even just that one time, helps sustain this program. Amazon has nearly everything you need right to your door and in two days or less for Prime members. I cannot say enough about how much I enjoy Amazon Prime Video, which comes with the Prime membership along with music, books, and more. And please, use my Amazon link if you make purchases for your office, school, church, or some other organization. To those of you who already shop through my link, thank you. And if Amazon's not right for you, you can also support this program by clicking on the PayPal button just below the Amazon button in the upper right corner at buzzburbank.com. Never before in U.S. history have so many people had health insurance, 89% of us, thanks to the Obamacare that Republicans are hell-bent to repeal. During the current enrollment period, nearly 6.5 million people are getting their insurance through Obamacare, a record, and that number still rising. Republicans do not yet have a plan for replacing Obamacare, but Trump, who's now leading the Kill Obamacare charge, says he has every confidence the lawmakers will come up with something. In the meantime, Trump and congressional Republicans have some things they are far more eager to do, starting with cutting funding to Planned Parenthood. No tax dollars go for abortions at Planned Parenthood. That's already prohibited by law. The tax dollars Planned Parenthood does get go to other health services for needy women, including cancer screening, birth control, screening for sexually transmitted diseases, and more. But because a fraction of what Planned Parenthood does includes abortions, Trump and the Republicans are dead set to cut it off, if possible, leave it in ruins. 40% of Planned Parenthood's budget comes from the government. House Speaker Paul Ryan supports defunding and says that'll be part of the repealing Obamacare that's already being discussed today. 
And Trump stands ready to sign that bill, quoting him on the subject before the election. I mean, if you look at what's going on with that, it's terrible. We can only guess, but he's likely referring to the doctored hidden camera video released by an anti-abortion group that resulted in charges against those who recorded it and no charges against the Planned Parenthood officials the activists were trying to frame. In the meantime, millions of Americans are again uncertain about the security of their health insurance. The health insurance industry is poised to be thrown into chaos, driving more companies out of the market, and hospitals have no idea how to prepare their next budgets. And there is still no replacement to the health care law the Republicans eagerly stand ready to repeal. Now that it's clear the Trump administration will revoke the Education Department ruling to open public restrooms to transgendered people, red states are quickly falling in line with North Carolina's bathroom bill. Texas has now joined North Carolina, Virginia, Kentucky, Alabama, Missouri, Indiana, and Washington state, likely banning transgenders from public restrooms. With the federal government and eight states leading the way, even more states may follow suit unless their greater fear is the entertainment, convention, and tourism business losses being suffered in North Carolina and Indiana. At a certain point in the campaign, the Trump crowd would shout Mexico when he asked who would pay for the wall on our southern border. But at just over a week from taking office, Trump is now asking Congress for taxpayer money to build that wall. He says Mexico will reimburse us. He says we can build the wall sooner that way. Mexico says it won't spend a dime. What Trump's saying now is the opposite of what he said all through the campaign, in which he indicated Mexico would just hand over the money or pay through a tax, which Mexico has repeatedly said, and again this week, it will not. The discrepancy prompted Trump to attack the news media in a tweet, quote, The dishonest media does not report money spent on building the Great Wall for sake of speed will be paid back by Mexico later, exclamation point. Trump wants his Great Wall money by April or sooner. The Republican Congress appears to be all in, supporting a bill that would let Trump build the wall without an okay from Congress. And the bill would be part of a big budget bill coming up. The only way Democrats can stop the wall authorization is to shut down the government the way the Republicans did three years ago over Obamacare. While Trump plans to get busy revoking many of President Obama's executive orders, the man who is president for a few more days is focused on his agenda— which will give Trump more to revoke. Obama and Trump disagree sharply on many issues, including what to do about Guantanamo. Our military base on Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, is where the U.S. has tortured and held without charges or any other aspect of American justice. Many of the nearly 800 men who were at some point suspected of terrorism. Trump likes that tucked away prison. In the campaign, he said he'd, quote, load it up with some bad dudes. Believe me, we're going to load it up. President Obama has spent the past eight years paring down the prisoner population at Gitmo from 242 to 55. In the days he has left, he plans to pare it down to 40, according to White House spokesman Josh Earnest. And each prisoner released or moved to another prison saves the U.S. taxpayer $4 million a year. The 200 Obama will have released, therefore, will have saved $800 million. Trump has tweeted he wants the president to stop emptying the cells at that notorious prison. He thinks 200 is too many. President Bush released 500. When the Washington Senators were playing big league baseball in D.C. way back in the day, their announcer was Charlie Brotman. He was just a student when he covered the first televised inaugural parade in 1949. 
Over six decades, he would be the parade's announcer-in-chief, 16 inaugurations at no cost of the taxpayers or anyone else. Charlie did it without pay and says they ask me every time, and it's such an honor. Well, not every time. The Trump team is bringing in its own guy, a freelance announcer who's done some work for today's Washington Nationals Major League Club. Charlie says he doesn't want to bring back Charlie campaign. Quoting him, I'm saying, good luck, young man. I hope you do spectacular. That was a big thing to say since Charlie is 89 years old and still capable of doing a good job, having just learned he's already called his last inauguration. But Charlie says he also thought the inauguration announcer gig was the only thing keeping him alive after the death of his wife just two weeks ago. Charlie says he even considered suicide after being fired by Trump. Quoting the new guy, a Trump supporter, I'm not taking his place. I just happen to be the guy who's next. Omar's movie preview, The Attack of the Squirrels and No Pants Day, in the final segment coming up. A smooth, clean shave from a blade that glides like butter and comes right to my door at half the cost of the big-name brands. That's what I love about shaving with products from Harry's, from the hefty, balanced handle that fits your hand to the precision-engineered five-blade cartridges that come with a lubricating strip, a trimmer blade, and a travel cover, to Harry's rich, lathering shave gel. It all started when Harry's founders Jeff and Andy got tired of being ripped off on blade prices. One big company in particular relentlessly jacked their prices and made a bundle while we all spent a bundle. Jeff and Andy quickly discovered the problem, the middlemen. So they decided to cut out the middlemen and bought an established factory so they can ship top-shelf blades from there directly to you. The result? You get quality products at your door for half of what you've been paying. And that's the Harry story. Become part of it. Go to harrys.com right now to try their new shave set free of charge. You just pay the shipping. Sign up at harrys.com and check out with the code R-E-L-M. And because you're a loyal listener to this show, Harry's will even throw in a free post-shave balm if you use that code and only if you use the code R-E-L-M at harrys.com. Nearly two-thirds of Americans think it's time for Trump to get off Twitter and start taking seriously the awesome responsibility ahead of him. 64% of us think Trump should shut down his Twitter account as soon as he takes the oath eight days from now. Trump's Twitter account has been the source of countless attacks on people, sometimes enemies, sometimes people not expecting it. As president-elect, he's used it to insult Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bryant Gumbel, Rosie O'Donnell, Jon Stewart, Saturday Night Live, Joe Scarborough, the media in general, and three-time Oscar winner Meryl Streep, to name a few. On the political side, he's insulted Bernie Sanders, President Obama, Bill and Hillary Clinton, Mitt Romney, Barney Frank, Mexico, and China. And along the way, he's used language including racist, moron, scumbag, and loser, to name a few more. Not what we're used to hearing from a president, not publicly. Even among Republicans, fewer than half believe he should keep on tweeting. And among everyone else, quoting a Quinnipiac pollster, 140 characters may not be enough to tell Donald Trump just how much Americans want him to knock off the tweeting. But Trump gets the last laugh on this one. As president, he inherits Obama's at POTUS and at White House accounts. The best two-thirds of us can hope for is that he hears of this and starts tweeting less and more responsibly. The Bob Seska commentary I promoted for this week was delayed on account of tennis balls. The overwhelming flood of news in the past 48 hours has delayed the premiere of his segment to next week. But now, 
Here's your weekly movie preview from Realm Network Arts and Entertainment Editor Omar Latiri, brought to you by Fandango. Opening this weekend, January 13th, 2017. There's Monster Trucks, a family movie about a friendly monster that bonds to a monster truck, thereby becoming an actual monster truck. Rated PG. There's The Bye Bye Man, a horror movie featuring Carrie Ann Moss and Faye Dunaway about a supernatural entity called The Bye Bye Man who possesses people who have just thought about him and causes them to kill. Rated R. We also have Live by Night, starring Ben Affleck in a movie about organized crime during the Prohibition era, and The Comedian, starring Robert De Niro as an aging insult comic. Despite the star power, neither Live by Night or The Comedian have been getting good feedback from critics. Both are rated R. Also opening this week are two movies starring Michelle Monaghan. First, there's Sleepless, an action crime thriller starring Jamie Foxx and T.I. as corrupt Vegas cops who search for one of their kidnapped sons. And there's Patriot's Day, starring Mark Wahlberg in a movie that recounts the events of the 2013 bombing of the Boston Marathon. Both Sleepless and Patriot's Day are rated R. And finally, my pick for this week, The Book of Love, a limited-release picture starring Jason Sudeikis and Maisie Williams about a recent widower who decides to help a homeless teen build a raft and sail across the Atlantic. The Book of Love is rated PG-13. For Buzz Burbank News and Comment, I'm Omar Latiri. For theaters and showtimes, previews, tickets, and so much more, and to support this free news, please use and bookmark the Fandango link you'll find at buzzburbank.com and listen to Omar on his show, Arts Review and Commentary, right here at realmnetwork.com. In a face-off between a tarantula and a snake, most of us would put money on the snake. Other spiders, different story, but black widows, redbacks, a snake is no match for their webs and poisons. Caught on camera last week in Australia, for example, a red-backed spider took the life of a red-bellied black snake. But with a tarantula, most scientists would bet on the snake. Oh, sure, hungry tarantulas have eaten snakes. They've been fed in captivity. But never until now had it been documented in the wild. The real payoff is in the long shot. In Brazil, researchers have just documented for the first time in history a tarantula defeating and eating a snake in the wild. The scientists discovered the incident after turning over a rock, and turning over rocks is what science is all about. And now a word about one of the real unreported threats against humanity. I'm talking, of course, about squirrels. In Exeter, New Hampshire, late last week, the lights went out in about three-fourths of the town Business and laundry ground to a halt from about 2 p.m. to about 5 p.m. The outage was not caused by hackers or a crumbling infrastructure. No, it was caused by a squirrel on a suicide mission to sabotage mankind, or at least the part of it that lives in Exeter, New Hampshire. Perhaps even more insidious is the band of squirrels that's been taking the old five-finger discount at a convenience store in Toronto. Thug squirrels have brazenly scampered into Luke's grocery where they like to keep the front door open for that cool Canadian air. Luke says it keeps the air conditioning bill under control. In other news, Canadians have air conditioning. Unfortunately, the open door also lets in squirrels who respect food more than shoplifting laws. And every two or three days, the squirrels have been stealing candy bars from one of the aisles at Luke's and running back out the door. Luke has called animal services, but they don't seem interested in taking the case. 
As the squirrel's assault on humanity continues, maybe they'll reconsider. On Monday, people in New York, L.A., Chicago, London, Berlin, and five dozen other cities around the world took the subway after taking off their pants. It was another successful no-pants subway ride, despite the windy 22 degrees in New York. The annual event in which people strip down to their underpants in the dead of winter has no particular point, but you'd be surprised by the number and assortment of people who take part. Sponsored by an improv group, the event is otherwise uneventful. And now that it's in its 16th year, it isn't even news anymore. After today, of course. And finally, the trouble with having a lot of weed in your house, besides the obvious, is that it makes ratting out your neighbors a little trickier. While minding their own business, police in Longview, Texas, got a call from 62-year-old Randy Linwood, who had a complaint about his neighbor. Police haven't said what the dispute was about, but in this story, it doesn't really matter. To hear Mr. Linwood's complaint, they went to his house, but no one answered the door. So they went around back and found a door that was already open. They went in to see if Mr. Linwood was all right. What they found was nearly two and a half pounds of marijuana. There was a pile of weed on the table, and it was distributed throughout the house, pickle jars full of weed, not mason jars for pickling, the still-labeled jars from Mount Olive's delicious line of kosher dills. Police have now arrested Linwood for having more than four ounces, but less than five pounds. He offered no resistance and was escorted to jail. Well, at least the neighborhood dispute is over. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thank you for listening, and thanks for supporting the shows and sponsors at buzzburbank.com. I'll be back next Thursday with another Buzz Burbank news and comment. The preceding presentation was brought to you by the Realm Network.